Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, choir. Amen. Turn in your Bibles this evening to John 13, 7. Gospel of St. John, chapter 13, verse 7. I'm going to be taking uh, our text scripture from the Good News Bible, and then all other references will be uh, out of the New King James Version of the Bible. So when you get there, say hallelujah. hallelujah. All right, four people. Now if you get there, say hallelujah. Okay. Y'all want to just meet at Wendy's? When you get there, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Ooh, rough crowd. Amen. All righty. Good news Bible. John 13, 7, Jesus answered him, You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. You do not understand now what I'm doing, but you will understand later. I want to speak to you. On the subject, you will understand it better by and by. Let's pray. Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we ask that you help us tonight. We're praying that the glory of God would be felt among us tonight. Lord, we need you. We are real people that have real problems, but we serve a real God who has real answers. And we don't understand always now what you're doing, but we are going to understand it all by and by. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. High five your neighbor and say to your neighbor, I was just checking to see if he was there. Amen. Cameron asked me, we, I think we were listening to something on the radio or uh, a, a, cassette, a CD of a sermon. And he said, why do preachers ask people to touch somebody or say something to talk to somebody? Or, or why do preachers do that? I said, well, it's to keep people awake is why we do that. So touch your neighbor and say, are you awake? Amen. All righty. One of the hardest, maybe the hardest lesson of ministry and pastoring, of leadership that I have ever tried to learn and maybe am still learning. And that is the lesson that it is okay to be misunderstood. It's interesting when what you do is communicate. And the very word communicate indicates that you're on the same page with your hearers. That it is a common union between a speaker and a hearer. So when you communicate, you desire to at least be clear. People might not always like what you say. They might not always agree with what you say. But you at least want what you're trying to say to be what they hear. You want there to be a clarity in what they hear, that you convey it accurately. And that doesn't always happen. Now, one of my problems is, is that I am not a linear thinker or a linear speaker. <laughs> In other words, my thought processes doesn't, don't, do not go A, B, C, D, E, F. My thought processes go 
A-F-Q-R-S-T. You know, they just go all over the place. And when I'm preaching and when I'm speaking, I think a lot of times people might think I use an excess of words, but I'm trying to anticipate where somebody may take what I say to an extreme and I try to go ahead and cover what I'm not trying to say <laughs> so you'll know what I am trying to say. Because it is so easy for people to misunderstand what a person is trying to communicate or trying to do. That is so very, very, very easy to happen. I remember that I was pastoring my first church and there was a particular singing group that someone in the church really wanted to come to the church. But I knew that those people when they were not singing were not faithful to go to church. And I didn't feel like that we ought to have somebody come in and sing that was not faithful to go to church. But I also did not feel that it was my place to tell that to everybody. It wasn't my place to try to put them down, to, to uh, you know, kind of slander their names. So I just didn't have them. Well, that member didn't understand why I wouldn't have them and I wouldn't tell them. Understand that there are times that we're not able to tell everybody everything of choices that we make or don't make. And it is very simple for anyone that tries to do anything to be misunderstood. And for some people, the fact that despite their best intentions, they're misunderstood is a load that they simply are not able to come up under. But if you're trying to do anything, if you're trying, especially trying to lead, then you are going from one time or another, despite all of your best intentions, you're going to be misunderstood. And one of the things that makes me marvel at the Lord Jesus Christ among the many things that make me marvel at him is how comfortable Jesus seemed to be with being misunderstood. I mean, the, the life story of Jesus on this earth is a story of being misunderstood, of people not getting it. In fact, one of the problems was is that while Jesus was God in the flesh, he still spoke in Godese. <laughs> he spoke in God language to men. And men did not have the functional understanding of the vocabulary to always pick up on what he was saying. You say, well, what, what, what point are you uh, trying to make? Well, do you remember... When Job, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, when Job was going through all of his problems, Job said something like this, I wish that there was a go-between, in-between me and God. Because God doesn't understand me and I don't understand him and I wish I had somebody to go between the two of us. He could have said it this way, I don't speak God and it doesn't seem like God speaks man, but if I could have somebody that knew how to speak God and man. Well, aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ is that go-between. He is, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, 
Christ Jesus and he understands man and he understands God and he is our go-between between that. He is our translator and our interpreter. Now we know God understands it all but man doesn't understand it all and thank God for Jesus that he came to show us the Father. But his whole life is one of misunderstanding. Do you remember whenever Mary and Joseph went to the temple? Some people even think that that was Jesus's bar mitzvah, that that's when he came up under. When, uh, when little Jewish boys turn 13 years old, they go through a bar mitzvah. And what that really means is that they're now a son of the covenant. It's really where they consider the age of adulthood, maturity, the age of accountability. That they're now making their own choices, not covered by the righteous choices or unrighteous choices of their parents, but now they are, they've been trained. It's not just something that is automatic. They go through teaching and learning and training to get to that point. They have to pass the test. And a lot of people feel like that, that when Jesus was taken to the temple when he was 12, it was his bar mitzvah because where do we see him? We see him with the doctors of the law, the scribes, the lawyers. We see him there and he is asking questions of them and inquiring of them. But when Mary and Joseph leave, they leave Jesus behind. And we've all probably drawn the conclusion that it's very easy to come to church and experience Jesus and then get up and go home and leave Jesus you know, at the church, there's a lot of people that leave him here on Sunday. And by the way, there's a lot of people that leave him here on Sunday and forget to come back and check on him, except for once or twice a month, right? But uh, they left Jesus and they were so busy and so involved that when they got down the road, they got looking around and said, where's Jesus? And, and you know, Mary said, Joseph, I thought you had him. And Joseph said, no, I thought he was with you. Well, well, I thought, you know, he was with your sister. You know, they, they got looking around and they went back. And when they went back to find Jesus, Mary had already got hot about that thing. Now, is there anybody, any parents out there besides Crystal and I that occasionally our children can make us a little bit frustrated, flustered a little bit, right? And I, I, lo I love my kids, but there, there, there are times when... Uh, I'm hungry <laughs> or tired that the you know I can hear the sound of their voices at, at times and I think boy isn't that cute they're laughing they're talking they're playing isn't that wonderful and then there are times I'm like I wish them jokers would shut up they are getting on my nerves my skin is crawling anybody ever feel that come on y'all tell the truth you in church and Mary done got hot about that thing. And if I understand about the Jewish mothers like I think I do, I understand they have a particular way of getting their children straight. And she went, in, in, in my mind's eye, in a very uh, accusatory, frustrated manner and said, why did you do this to me and your daddy? And Jesus looks at her and says, what's the problem? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And he wasn't talking about Joseph. He wasn't talking about, you know, making a piece of furniture or building a house. He wasn't talking about being a carpenter. He wasn't talking about stepdaddy. He was talking about the father in heaven. And he said, I've got to be occupied about the father's business. 
Nonetheless, because he was perfect in every way, he went home with them and he made himself subject to them like a good son should in obedience to them and in obedience to his heavenly father. But there was even at that early age that misunderstanding. His own brothers did not believe in him until after his resurrection. John 7, 3 through 6, it goes like this. His brother said to him, said, you know all of these tricks that you're doing, all of these miracles, all these magic tricks you got? Why don't you go down to Judea, go down there where you can do those and attract a following. In fact, let me read it to you. They said, depart from here, go into Judea that your disciples may also see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. They're saying, you're never going to get anywhere if you just keep this a secret. You need to show off a little bit so you can get good PR. But here's the thing. They said all that, but they didn't even believe him. For his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said, my time's not yet come, but your time is always ready. In other words, it's time for you to get right and do right, but my time's not yet come. His own brothers did not understand him. A lot of his followers, and, and Jesus had a year of popularity where a lot of people followed him. In fact, he couldn't get away from them. He tried. He'd get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they'd meet him over there. Or they'd get little ships, they'd get in little ships and follow him. But the ones that, you know, the fame had spread that when he had 5,000 besides women and children, we don't know, maybe 15, 20,000. Uh, and, and he had multiplied the loaves and the fishes and fed them. And then uh, not too long later, the same thing happened, and there were 7,000 that were recorded, and he multiplied loaves and fishes then, and they were following him. And Jesus said, I know what you're up to. You're not even interested in miracles. Let alone interested in righteousness, you're not even interested in miracles. You're just interested in getting a free meal. You're wanting to fill your bellies. He said, but I'm saying to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. Of course, he was talking about spiritual communion with God because he is the bread of life. He is the living water. But they over-literalized that, misunderstood that, went away. They thought he was talking about cannibalism and they all left him and he looked around and there's Peter in the gang and Jesus, this is the one time that it seems to kind of get under his skin. And I, I'm so glad this is in here that whenever Jesus has a church service that there's not many people, it bothers him too. Right? <laughs> Makes me feel a little better. So uh, he looks around and he says to him, well, are you going to go away? As well, and Peter said, where can we go? Where are we going to go? You're the one that has the words to eternal life. Jesus was misunderstood. Nicodemus, who was uh, evidently uh, part of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus was a man that was a teacher of the law. He went to Jesus by night. He didn't want anybody to associate him with Jesus. He didn't want to lose his status. So he went to Jesus by night, but at least he went. He went to Jesus and he said, Now I perceive that you're a prophet come from God. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, What do you mean? I'm an old man. Are you telling me I've got to re-enter back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? And Jesus said, 
you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand what I'm talking about? He said, I'm talking about being born of the spirit and of the water. I'm talking about spiritual birth. They just didn't understand him. Jesus' apostles always didn't understand what he was doing. His closest disciples didn't always understand. Uh, There was a time in John chapter 12, starting verse 21 through 26, the Bible says that there that were Greeks that came to Jesus or to Philip, and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And Jesus, now these this is this is Gentiles that have come saying, We want to see Jesus. And they come to Jesus, Philip and Andrew, and they say, Lord, there's some people that want to see you. And you know what Jesus says about it? You know what he says? Listen to this, how clear this is. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there a servant be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now, that sounds so pretty reading it in Scripture, but... If you came to me and said, Pastor, we've got some people that want to get saved that would like to talk with you. And I looked at you and I said, well, you know, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it'll bring forth much fruit. Don't you think you would say, okay, um, so do you like want to see them or, or not? I mean, do you, is that a quote? Do you want us to tell? Do you see how I'm telling you that Jesus, he just doesn't, he just doesn't kind of run in the same circle that those follow him are running. I don't, there are times that Jesus is purposely obtuse. And I know that word obtuse because I used to watch the Andrew Griffith show. And I remember Barney would get so upset when Andy was being obtuse. That means you are purposely being obscure in your language, not getting it. People say that Jesus uh, talked in parables in order for people to understand what he was saying. Jesus said that's not the reason he talked in parables. He said, I'm speaking in parables because if I tell you in parables, that crowd that's not spiritual won't get it. So I'm speaking to you in parables because you've got to have spiritual understanding to receive it. The parables are code for people that are spiritually minded. It was actually the opposite of what a lot of people say that he was trying to do. And they didn't get it. How many times did they come back to him and say, uh, you know that parable you were talking about now? Now what did that mean again? Sometimes Jesus just had to break it down for him like he did the parable of the seed and the sower. He just went ahead and told them, well, guys, let me tell you now, the seed's the word of God and the field is the world. He just had to break it down for them. In John chapter 14, verse 7 through 11, he said, If you'd known me, you'd know my Father also. And from now on, you'll know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient. 
And this is a place as patient as Jesus was that I can just hear him sigh and say, Have I been with you so long and yet you don't know me, Philip? I'm telling you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father also. Peter had this problem. Jesus brought his disciples up to the uh, uh, northern part of, of Israel, way up in the shadow of Mount Hermon, there at the headwaters of the Jordan River, uh, to Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them the question, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. Again, people did not get it, people did not understand. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who has made a carriage trade off of getting it wrong, got it right. You know what size uh, mouth Peter had? The same size as his shoe size because he's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. But he got it right this time. He said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then Jesus begins to say to them and talk with them and speak to them the very next breath of how now I'm going into Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over uh, to the chief priest and to the Sanhedrin. They're going to accuse me. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans and I'm going to be crucified and die. And the same Peter that was just so right and understood it so clearly said, Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. He began to rebuke the Lord and said, no, that ain't the way it's supposed to work. So that Jesus had to look at him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. You're of an offense to me. Now you talk about going from a hero to a zero like that. When you go from you're blessed to you're the devil, they just didn't get it. And that brings us to our text. It is the Passover. Jesus is going to be betrayed that night into the hands of sinful men. He's going to be betrayed, betrayed by a kiss of a friend. His disciples are going to run away and leave him. He's going to be dragged from, from a, one illegal trial to another. He's going to be beaten, lied upon, spit upon. His beard's going to be pulled from his face. The next day he's going to be led to a rugged cross. He's going to be flogged at within an inch of his life. He's going to have a heavy Roman cross placed upon his back. He's going to drag it up. Calvary's here. He's going to be crucified and died. And that night, among his disciples, he begins to wash their feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter said, Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? And Jesus said, Peter, right now you don't understand what I'm doing. But you will understand. One day you will understand it. His accusers didn't understand him. When he talked about tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days, he was talking about his body. as one of the things that they used to accuse him and convict him of blasphemy over. It was blasphemy against the temple. Pilate didn't understand him. Pilate said, they tell me you say you're a king. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right, I'm a king. 
He said, you're a king? He said, well, I'm a king, but not like you're thinking about a king. If I was a king, I'd have an army. And if I'd had an army, they'd fight. So I'm not a king like you're talking about a king, but I am a king. Well, he said, well, if you're a king, then are you, you know, what, what do you mean you can Well, you know, the authority you have, you really don't have it unless my father gave it to you. And right now, I got an army I could call, but my army's an army in heaven. Over and over and over and over again, we see the ministry of Jesus as being a ministry where he was misunderstood. But Jesus could be, uh, be comfortable with the situation because he was confident in the plan. It was okay that not everybody got it. It was okay that not everybody understood he was confident in the plan. And so consequently, Jesus understands when we're misunderstood. Despite all of our best intentions, not everybody's going to throw us a parade. Not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to love us. Not everybody's going to agree with us. Despite all of our best intentions, there are people that will think the exact opposite of us that we think of ourselves. There are people that will accuse us of having motives that we find abhorrent. There are people that will think about us the opposite of what we strive to be in life. And at some point, you've just got to get comfortable with that and say I'm doing the best I can do I'm more interested in what God knows about me than I am what people think they know about me and God is my judge and I'm going to be faithful to him and if people like it or if they lump it I want them to love me I want them to approve me I want them to embrace me but I'm not willing to get on the merry-go-round of trying to make everybody love or like me and conform to what they think I ought to be I'm going to live in integrity and God understands when I'm misunderstood. And there's a great old gospel song that has brought me so much peace over the years. If when you give the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior has come, be not dismayed when men don't believe you. He'll understand and say, well done misunderstood the Savior of sinners, died on the cross. He was God's only Son. Oh, hear Him call to His Father in heaven, Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. So if you've tried and you've failed in your trying, hands torn and scarred from some work you've begun, just pick up your cross and run swiftly to meet Him. He'll understand and He'll say, well done. Oh, when I come to the end of life's journey and I'm weary of life and the battle is won, I'll be carrying the cross and the staff, the cross of redemption and he'll understand and he'll say, well done. People are not always going to like you. They're not always going to understand. There's not always going to approve, but he'll understand. The problem is, is that we ourselves can't always understand his way and not only is it okay not only is it okay for you to get comfortable with the fact that you're going to be misunderstood it's also okay when you don't understand what God's doing it's okay that you don't have all the answers 
It's okay that people ask you questions that you have to shrug your, your shoulders and say, huh, that's a tough one, I just don't know. I'm going to tell you if every preacher in the world would learn the phrase, I don't know, instead of pretending like we did. It's okay for you not to have an answer for every circumstance. Romans 11, 33 and uh, 30 through 36 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of our God, how unsearchable are His judgments, His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The Bible tells us up front, God's going to do some things you don't understand. God's got some thoughts that you can't trace. God's ways are higher than your ways. His judgments are past your ability to find out. Why spend my time wallowing on my pillow and worrying about things that God's got under His control? Why try to figure out the great mysteries of life that were never mine to start off with? There are certain things that God's given me the responsibility for. There are certain things that God has put under your purview. But the things that are His leave in His competent hands. But make sure you take care of the things He's made you responsible for. Somebody said this, it's not the things about the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I understand and have trouble living up to. Right? It Job, you know what Job went through. I don't have to retell you. Job 9 through uh, 10, uh, chapter 9, 10 through 11 says this, that God does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I don't see him. If he moves past, I don't perceive him. If he takes away... Who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? This is a real problem for many people in the world and many Christians. That we hold our little uh, wayward, foolish, limited, finite concept of what's just or right and fair. And we hold it up as the rule. And we try to make God adhere to it. And we say, Lord, I don't understand why you did it this way or why you didn't do it that way. And we hold up our own, we, we become our own canon. We become our own measurement. I don't mean to be cruel with this because I know people have real hurts and pains. But can I say to you, God doesn't have to tell us anything. He's like God. Somewhere along the lines We've kind of lost the understanding that he's God. Can I tell you, I'm glad I don't understand everything about him. Because if I could understand him and perceive him and I, in my finite mind, then I'd have a finite God. I'm glad I don't have a God that I can set on my mantle. I'm glad I don't have a God that's a poster on my wall that I burn incense to. I'm glad I don't have a God that I can reach into my pocket and rub him for good luck. I'm glad that I've got a, a, a God that sits high in the heavens and all of the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. I'm glad I've got a God that's so big that he doesn't dwell in the universe, but the universe dwells in him. 
I'm glad that I've got a God that is so far above and beyond and, and uh, uh, so uplifted and so great and so separate from sinners that I can't always trace him. I can't always get a hook in him. I can't always wrap my mind around him. If he were the kind of God that my little peace-eyed intellect could understand, he was a God that would be limited in the scope of what he knew and what he could do, but he's an unlimited God. Thank God his thoughts are higher than mine, and I can't put him in my box, and I can't trace him, but I can trust him. Amen. I'm glad I don't understand everything that he does. His ways are past finding out. In fact, in my own life, when I get frustrated, Romans said, can the thing that is formed say to the one that formed it, why did you make me like this? The potter can form the clay any way he wants to. God does not owe us an explanation. Job 23, starting in verse 8, going through verse 10. Job got frustrated about it. He said, when I go forward, God's not there. When I look back behind me, I don't see him. He said, whenever he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I can't see him. But he also said this, I don't know which way he's going, but he knows the way I take. And after he's tried me, I'll come forth as pure gold. I don't always perceive which way he's going, but he's always got his eye on me. I can't always see him, but he can always see me. It's like the, it's like the little boy that their house was, was burning down and the smoke and the fog mixed and it was low and they ran out of the house and, and uh, his daddy jumped down into the hole because the fire was spreading all around him and there was a big hole there. And the son couldn't see his daddy through the fog. But the daddy looking up and the fire around the sun, he could see the sun. And he said, son, jump down here where it's safe. And he said, daddy, I can't see you. But the daddy said to the son, that's all right, boy. You jump, I can see you. I'm going to tell you, I can't always see God through the smoke and fog of life, but he's got his eye on me. And if I'll jump into his everlasting arms, he will catch me. Amen. I don't know the way he takes, but he knows the way that I take. Well, this sermon out of, grew out of, of all things, a letter that was written by a college quarterback. I know some of you don't care about football, but I want you to care about what this young man had to say. And I don't know how deep his faith is. I just know what his letter said. Jalen Hurts was the starter at Alabama. And for... Two seasons he was the starter and he was a good one. In fact, in two years, I, I believe that they played 26 games in two years and he won 24 of them. They lost two games the whole time he started. But two years ago in the national championship when Georgia was defeated the day that will live on in infamy that still hurts my heart to talk about. 
They won because his coach Nick Saban pulled him out of the game and put in a freshman. And the freshman won the game. And Jalen didn't understand a lot about what was going on. He didn't understand everything that was happening. But he decided, despite what other people told him to do, he decided to stay at the University of Alabama and graduate with his degree. And after he graduated, he, has, he still got one year of eligibility. And after as he graduated, he has decided to transfer to Oklahoma. And I hate to see that happen to anybody. But he wrote a letter to his teammates in Alabama. And I'm going to read you just to, I know you don't care anything about his story, but I want you to just read what he says about it. He said, what was what happened in the 2018 National Championship game bittersweet? Of course it was. It was humbling. It was an humbling experience. It was tough, man. But I'm even tougher for it. I'm, I am built for this. I understand that God puts those obstacles and challenges in my life for a reason. He wanted me to feel the pain I felt for a reason. He wanted me to understand the importance of never losing faith and of always staying true to myself. He had not brought me this far just to leave me there. This isn't something you're stuck in, I'd tell myself. This is something you're going through. And one thing I can promise you is that I'm better off for having gone through it. Everything I've dealt with at Bama, I'm stronger for it, I'm wiser, and I'm a better man. And then, at the end of his letter, under his name, he put this scripture quotation. Just, just the reference. He didn't write it out in the scripture, just the reference. John 13, 7. So I had to look up John 13, 7. And when I looked it up, this is what I found. Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. But later, you'll understand. If a college football quarterback can say about his circumstances, I don't know at the time, I didn't know what was going on, but now I understand God was in the midst of it working in my life. Then how much more should you and I say when we don't understand our circumstances, I don't understand what's going on, but I understand who's in control. That when I cannot trace his hand, I can trust his heart. Psalm 40 and 5 says this, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Not only can I not understand God's ways, not only can I not understand his thoughts, but his thoughts about me are more than can be numbered. Somebody wrote this, said if I tried to count the blessings he sent down my way, the number would be too great for me because if somehow I was able to sit down and count in a million billion years here I'd be because it's easier to count all the stars in the sky or to measure the sands by the sea or to catch in one cup all the rain that ever fell than to count all his blessings on me I could be comfortable in the circumstance because I'm confident in the Lord Isaiah said this Isaiah 58 through uh, uh, 58 55, 8 through 12. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. 
For as high as the heavens are, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, and be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You know what he just said? He said, you can't figure me out because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You can't understand my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. But there's something that you cling to when I give you my word. You ain't got to worry about it. It's not going to come back empty. When I sow the, word, the seed of my word, it's going to grow. It's going to prosper. You can count on it. It's money in the bank. And even though you may be in confusion right now, one of these days it'll seem like the whole earth is singing and rejoicing with you when my promise comes to pass. Under the glass in my, uh, uh, on my desk in our church office there in the pastor's study, I have this scripture written there. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. God's got some secrets he doesn't let me in on. God's got some things that he says these are mine and you got to trust me on them. And if I explained it to you, you wouldn't understand anyway. It would kind of be like a nuclear physicist that was rocking his baby to sleep telling him about... Uh, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. He could hear him talk, but he wouldn't understand what he was saying. If God tried to explain everything to me, I couldn't latch on to it anyway. But here's what it says. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever. And so I'm not going to worry about the things that he hadn't explained to me, but the promises that he has made to me, I'm going to ferret them out. I'm going to reach into the word of God. I'm going to learn what I can have. I'm going to learn who I am and I'm going to trust him because that's my property what he has promised to me at the end of time when it's all over and we can understand it better by and by the Bible tells us Apostle Paul writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 1 Corinthians 2 9 and 10 said I has not seen, and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. Revelation 15 and 3, the Bible says there's coming a time when the saints will sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. O Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of saints. Revelation 6 and 7, the voice from the altar said, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. When we know better, when we have eyes to see the big picture, we're not going to say, Lord, you missed it there. We're not going to say, Lord, I, 
I wouldn't have done it that way. We're going to say, God, you knew what you were up to. You knew what you were doing. Lord, now I understand. Listen, trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the way that God will lead us to that blessed promised land. But he'll guide us with his eye, and we'll trust him till we die, and we'll understand it better by and by. By and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathering home, we'll tell the story of how we overcome, and we'll understand it better by and by. Temptations, hidden snares, often take us unawares, and our hearts are made to bleed with some thoughtless word or deed, and we wonder why the test when we try to do our best, but we will understand it better by and by. I can't figure him out. I don't know why he does things the way he does things. I don't know why sometimes he just seems to sit down and just leave me to it. But I do hear the words of the King of Heaven, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the Son of God, while he's washing the dirty feet of the disciples, say in tenderness, what I'm doing right now, you don't understand. But you're going to understand it better. By and by. Amen. Would you stand? Let's pray. Father, Lord, there's not a one of us in here that's your child that has not been through seasons where we didn't understand what you were doing, what you were up to. We wondered why the test when we've tried to do our best. But Lord, we trust you. Lord, I remember hearing the sermon, the funeral sermon that a wonderful pastor preached over his own wife. And he said, as he preached his wife's funeral, he said when his wife died and he went to a place of prayer and said, God, I don't understand that you told him, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Lord, I'm glad that I can trust you. I'm glad that in you my heart does safely trust. Lord, I'm praying that you would strengthen and encourage your people tonight. And if there's somebody that doesn't know you, help them this night to put their trust in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.